find a better way to, to do this. Because what happened was we, as we were scaling up and, you know, we're growing, um, you know, we're, we're doing significant volumes of, uh, you know, bean bags. And, you know, we would need to do, you know, 15,000 bean bags just in one shift out of, you know, one of our uh, facilities. Well, trying to scale that, the team's looking at it, the, you know, the space, it's like, well, shoot, we're going to need 25 of these filling machines. Like, that is, that is not uh, scalable. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. This is part two of our episode with Matt Young, co-founder at Comfort Research. If you missed part one, please go back and listen. Um, Matt, at the end of part one, I was talking about just that I admire the restraint you guys have to pull it back to three essential things um, instead of having like a big laundry list of all your aspirational goals and hopes. And, and you know, my guess is that it makes it much more of a, a core value for people to live when there's only three of them. Can you repeat the core values and then tell me if you see it that way as well? So uh, first one, first thing is I want to clarify uh, something. So uh, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, a billion dollars in sales. We've created about a billion dollars of sales for our retail partners. So, okay. you know, we're about, uh, you know, half of it over the, the lifetime of, you know, the, this company. So I just wanted to clarify well, that. Well, I appreciate I the you. honesty there, but I'm totally going to give you credit of a billion dollars <laughs> of retail sales. Hey, man. Well, you add up 22 years of uh, sales and like, we're about halfway there, so we're on our way, certainly, <laughs> and we're having a blast uh, doing it. But uh, getting back to your, your question, um, could, could you repeat that for, Just, for me? Yeah, can you, can you tell us the three values, and then can you talk about the restraint to not put all the aspirational things that would sound good to tell your friends about? <laughs> I don't know if we had uh, you know restraint, but our three core values are find a better way, expect the best, and do the right thing. And we do everything in our organization, uh, you know, centered around those three core values. And really one of the best uh, things that, you know, our team has done, really Becky Plug, she is our culture concierge. She has put together a system where we are making sure that we are hiring for culture fit. Um, and actually, I love the way that she says it better than culture fit. She says it, we're looking for a culture ad. We don't just want a bunch of minions that all look the, you know, the same and uh, you know, think exactly the same. We want somebody that's gonna add to that culture. And so making sure, and, and this is not something we went out and uh, you know, did uh, you know, right away, but it was happened over time. And she created this system where the way that we're hiring really feeds into having a person be a culture ad that is a great part of it. Because when people are adding to the culture, it we're, we're not having to indoctrinate them into uh, these core values. They're, are, they're already feeling them, you know, when they come into the organization. And, I, you know, I mean, as far as, you know, the resistance to uh, them being aspirational, it was just that more, it was around the embarrassment of, like, saying that we were all these, uh, you know, things and then not being able to remember it. 
Like, if you really believed, if you really were all those things, of course you'd be able to remember them. But, you know, for, for, for us, it, you know, it was definitely recognizing that what we had been doing, which was pretty typical of most companies, is that we were trying to say who we wanted to be, what we thought, you know, what, what was all great. And you could apply them to any company, right? They weren't really core to, to us. Yeah. Well, um, getting a bit more tactical, as people think about how they might apply this in their organization, can you tell us about what what you're doing to recognize people, To which obviously is a huge incentive for people to actually live it? Yeah, so this has been a huge thing for us, and it's been an awesome uh, you know, experience to uh, be able to uh, recognize the people that are living the core values, reward them in some way, and then consistently repeating uh, those, those messages. And so for us, we didn't start off creating this system. It was really, we just tried to, you know, one thing. I'm, I'm a big believer that, you know, pretty much anything in business can be systematized. And there's no reason why culture can't be systematized uh, as, as well. And so based on uh, that, that belief, we just thought if we could recognize people that are living the core values of find a better way, that we'd be able to encourage more activity around that and it would help people, uh, you know, know the core values and we, you know, thank the folks that are living the core values. So what we did is we just started with that find a better way uh, core value and said, if you have got an idea that you believe is finding a better way to do something in our business, and we, we, we said, we don't care what it is, just find a better way to do everything that, that, that we're doing. So if you want to paint that wall pink over there because you think it's going to brighten everybody's day, make the suggestion. That's great. And so we have people submit their fab form. So that find a better way, the, the fab award. And they come up with the, you know, their idea. The, that idea goes in front of a uh, panel of uh, leaders and peers within the organization. And even that's changed how we've done that, that over the, uh, the years. But goes in front of the panel and uh, there's three different uh, criteria that uh, they vote on and the highest vote getter ends up getting 2,500 bucks. And so then they can go on little, to the Can annual- I just bring up a little better than a Starbucks coffee card? What's that? Can I just bring up a little bit, that's a little bit better than a $25 gift certificate to Starbucks? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, originally, uh, you know, we had talked about, I really wanted it to be a $25,000 annual uh, you know, award. I wanted it to be big. I wanted somebody to be able to buy a car because of one idea that they did around our core values. I thought that was so cool. And what I've really come to believe and recognize is the money is probably the least important thing of everything that we're doing because we don't start uh, stop there, right? We're not just handing them a check and saying thanks. What we do is we do it as all company meeting. And because we have multiple locations, we do a, a, a simulcast where the uh, Salt Lake City location, the Nashville location, uh, the office down in uh, you know Arkansas, they're all uh, on Skype and they can talk to us and we can talk to them. So it's a two-way conversation. It's not just broadcasting uh, to them. So there's a little bit more interaction. And so we bring the person up that was the highest vote getter that uh, you know won the $2,500. And now we have a real life person with a real life example of what they did around finding a better way. And one of the things that we always wanted to make sure that 
you know, right from the get-go is we did not want to be a suggestion box company, like where people are just throwing in suggestions. And, uh, you know, what happens is the suggestion box company has that little wooden box with a slot on top. It's probably got a little padlock on it because, oh, God forbid, you know, we don't want anybody stealing the suggestions. So ridiculous. <laughs> and then what happens is if anybody had the guts to even make a suggestion, what they're doing is probably three months later, they're sitting at the, you know, the, the coffee uh, machine talking to their buddy and like, yeah, those idiots in management, they didn't, they didn't do my idea. Well, maybe they did. Maybe they tried it. Maybe they didn't communicate it, uh, you know, back. Maybe there, there was very valid reasons why they didn't do the idea, but there's, there was no feedback loop. There wasn't involvement of them. And we wanted to make sure that whoever's making that suggestion is part of the implementation. And so we found ways over the years to, to make sure that they're part of, uh, you know, implementing that, the idea. Well, so can, that can I pause you, can I pause you here? Because I feel like this is something that gets skipped over too easy is this idea of trusting the people who are closest to the problem. You know, um, we've at our consulting firm, Mylan, we've had a lot of uh, Department of Defense clients all over the military. And um, I, I do see in like the most elite units of special ops or stuff like this, that it's almost like the pyramid is upside down. Instead of like the one general on top makes all the decisions and has a bunch of drones acting them out, you know, it's like the general is making sure that the colonels and everybody have trained people so well that we can trust their thinking. And they, they call it, uh, you know, trusting the boots on the ground, right? Why do you think it is, right. why do you think it's so hard for leaders to have the humility to recognize, oh, the person closest to the problem probably is, has the best idea for it? Why do you think it's so hard for us to, to resist the like, well, I'm the boss, of course I know best? Man, I don't know. Um, that that's uh, uh, that, that's a tough one. I think that there's probably a certain uh, you know part of you know ego getting uh, you know in the way. Uh, I think that a lot of the reasons why people get elevated is because of the work that they had done, and then all of a mm. sudden when you're handing that off uh, to to others, it's almost like you're feeling like maybe I haven't, maybe I'm not doing my job, maybe I don't have as much uh, you know worth. Uh, you know, it's interesting. <laughs> People get promoted because of the work that they've done. And then we promote them to be managers. And now they're supposed to be managing. And what is good management? What is good leadership? It is letting those folks be able to do those uh, you know, ideas. And it's hard to get buy-in when people are just being dictated what you should be uh, you know, doing. If people... If, if, if it is their idea, if they've come up with it, all of a sudden, the likelihood of it being implemented and being followed through upon, it's not management's uh, you know, responsibility to do that. They take it on as their own responsibility to, to do that. Uh, I feel that it's <laughs> that fine. You know what's funny about when you say that? It's like, if I as the leader am willing to do less work, there's a higher chance it will actually work. Right. It's so <laughs> logical and so, and so hard for us to do sometimes. Yeah, that's, uh, that, that's certainly true. Sorry. I was totally interrupting, but I just, I wanted to bring that up because it's like a great theory. So many people would give a thumbs up for, and yet in all these like factory tours and, uh, site tours that we do at companies, it is not something that, uh, 
is definitely not happening at the majority of the organizations that we tour. Well, I think it uh, certainly, uh, you know, should, uh, you know, I, I certainly, I, I can't claim that, uh, you know, I've done everything to, to get us here, but I think that oftentimes that's what people, uh, you know, believe, um, whether, you know, if I'm, if I'm talking in front of a, uh, you know, group, um, that, oh, you did this or you did that. I'm like, probably not. I probably didn't do that. I probably put some, uh, you know, uh, we got some folks in place that have been able to do those things. And that was really the essence, the heart of what this system is uh, really all about. It's recognizing those, uh, you know, those folks. And can you give us a quick example of like one of the ones that you were the most proud of? Like, that's awesome. Somebody at our company thought that up. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, I want to finish uh, this oh, yeah, piece because yeah. this is Go really, uh, you know, important because just, you know, you know, recognizing somebody and giving them a, uh, you know, check, that's like step one. It's all the other things that we do on top of it that builds this into what I believe is a really powerful uh, system of recognizing folks. So I mentioned that we do this at an all company meeting. We bring them up on the stage. We do it with an oversized check. And so now we have this real life person with a real life example of how that person has found a better way to do something, anything at the, uh, at, at the company. And so they come up on stage, we take a, a picture uh, of them. That picture then goes on our wall of fab and the wall of fab is this 50 foot long wall with pictures and descriptions of what people have done to find a better way. And it's right across the uh, way from the break room. So as new people come in um, or uh, tour, tour people, uh, you know, come in, they can see all the people that are making a difference. So a new person comes in and they're like, oh, Billy did that? I use that every single day. I had no idea where that ever came from. You know, it's like you think that these things just magically, uh, you know, happen, or at least I feel that people think that things magically happen or management did it or however, right? But no, there's Billy. He came up with this idea on a way to, uh, you know, fill a beanbag uh, better. And so it's another way to continue to honor those, uh, you know, folks that are finding a better way every day in the, uh, in, in the organization as a whole. And so it's just been really, uh, you know, fun. And then we do it, um, you know, annually uh, as well. And with three, this is the cool thing. With three, we're able to each quarter go through all three of our core values because eventually what happened is we created the Awesome Award, which is all around uh, expecting the, the best. And we also have the Dirt Award, honoring people that are doing the right uh, thing. And that's doing the right thing in life, not just at Comfort Research. And I'll expand on that in a, in a second. But now we've got this rhythm. So month one, we do the Find a Better Way Award. Month two, we do the Expect the Best Award, the Awesome Award, and that's a peer-to-peer award. And so it's one peer handing off a, the thumbs up trophy to another one of their peers and saying, you know what, you're awesome, and this is why I think you're awesome. And then the following month, we do the Dirt Award. And I love the way that our director of IT says it, Mark Slagle. He says, comfort wants good people, not just good employees. And that couldn't be, uh, you know, more true. Um, Mark was actually one of our Dirt Award winners. And the reason why he was a do the right thing uh, winner is that 
he had just gotten uh, uh, remarried, and he's got uh, you know he's bringing it, you know these two families uh, you know together, you know a couple kids on each side, and uh, finds out that these uh, kids um, need some fostering. The mom and dad are going to be going away to jail for a little bit. Mom had been a drug user while uh, she was pregnant with the youngest one, who's now six months old, and they said absolutely, you know what. Uh, we are going to foster these kids. They thought it was going to be a couple of uh, you know weeks. It turned into a couple of years, and they continue to have a relationship with those kids uh, today. You want to talk about somebody that's just doing the right thing in life? It's guys like that, gals like that, that are doing the right thing in life that we want to honor and 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 just thank. Um, very little of the Dirt Award really has anything to do with what someone has done at Comfort Research. Sometimes it happens, but most of the time. It's just saying, thanks. I think you're an awesome person for doing the right thing in life. So as we have these, uh, you know, the, these awards now every single month, you know, we, we go through one, we have a real life person that we bring up on stage with a real life example of what they've done uh, around those uh, core values. We take that picture, it goes up uh, on the wall with a description of what they've, uh, you know, done. And so they are continued to, to be to be honored and then we do it all over again. And so we have this steady rhythm where we're recognizing people, we're rewarding them with uh, you know, either money or paid time off. And then we're consistently repeating those messages. And as we continue to do that, it just continues to build uh, on itself. And like I said, it's not just you know, the, the, the money uh, that's the important thing. If we made it uh, uh, the money a, a, a lot less, I don't think we'd have any uh, you know, difference in participation or our ability to really push the, the culture forward. It is thanking them, honoring them, and just really being genuine about it and making sure that you're consistently doing it. It's not a one-off, one-time thing, man. We've been doing this since 2013, and you know, it's that flywheel principle. The more you push on that flywheel, the, the, the more uh, it continues to build. I love it. You know, we've probably got time for one more question here. Um, and, and I shifting gears, um, I, I want to bring up this idea of, of that even though this is such a core value, even though this is, um, you know, something that you guys are focused on so much that um, it doesn't, you know, f for the folks who are maybe a bit more uh, task oriented in life, that sometimes the human side of things, they're, they're uh, likely to discount that it doesn't mean you guys are neglecting the task side of the world. Can you talk about this idea of um, how banks see it as a positive for you to have inventory tying up cash and, and yet creating a just-in-time manufacturing system of making product after it gets ordered is a huge efficiency for the company? Yeah, so, I mean, uh, this is just something that, you know, we knew that we had to find a better way to create, you know, our product and deliver it in a timely, uh, you know, fashion. And so... Uh, again, this, this had nothing that, you know, myself or, or Chip did. It was what our team did. We knew that we had the challenge. Uh, we have this very relatively inexpensive product that's very large. And so if we were going to be a traditional manufacturer and we were going to build the, you know, stuff to stock, we would just have hundreds of thousands, if not millions square feet, uh, warehouses filled with, filled with bean bags. And all of a sudden you make a, uh, you know, mistake you're a lot less uh, you know, flexible and it's eating up uh, space and it's sitting in the warehouse every single month. So 
our team continued to find ways to be able to produce this stuff very, very, uh, you know, quickly. And uh, so instead of like going out and buying automation, uh, you know, equipment that would be very expensive, we found ways to go ahead and do it in house. Probably a little bit of a slower, uh, you know, path, but we were able to do it very inexpensively to provide a lot of capacity so we could turn. So we really just focus on if we have the cover, if the cover is available for one of the, the bean bags, we know that in about 30 seconds, we can fill that bag, put it, drop it in a box and throw it on the, you know, UPS or FedEx, uh, you know, truck because of everything the team has done to automate the filling process, automate the volumetric uh, measurement, uh, you know, process, automate the uh, box uh, creation, uh, you know, process every single uh, step of the way, which allows us this great flexibility to just, if we've got the, the cover, we can take that order and uh, you know, by the end of the day, ship that out to a, a customer out of one of our uh, three facilities and get that to them in about two days, uh, you know, normal ground shipping with FedEx or UPS. You know, it's funny. We had this conversation, I don't know, I think it was last week when we were first meeting. And uh, the next day I was at lunch with a couple of CEOs of smaller manufacturing firms. And they were talking about how rough their world is of like uh, starting out and having to order stuff from China and orders are four months behind and so-and-so's getting his leather from Italy and, you know, these things, right? And, uh, and just that the cost, the carrying cost of all that stuff what was an, you know, an extremely stressful thing for this individual, right? And the other one who is, they had a really uh, successful Kickstarter launch and are about to uh, probably do some pretty significant volumes. All of a sudden, their, their like wake-up call to what this is going to be like for carrying costs and inventory and stuff um, was like, it became, the pain was real, right? As he's watching it on the other CEO's face. And I was able to talk to your story about, you know, you can't believe the guys I just talked to. They literally don't make it until I have to get, until it has to get ordered. And the customer still gets it two days later. And th they were like amazed. And the, anyways, it was really helpful to the, to the one CEO who, who has a chance to do domestic manufacturing and, and some drop shipping things differently. Uh, who was a little more concerned about cost per unit instead of the speed of delivery and, and the carrying cost of inventory. Uh, so I know one person that's been helpful too already, but um, can you talk too about this idea of not letting obstacles cancel your plans? Like, you know, the automation equipment was too expensive and instead of going like, oh, I guess we can't do that. Just the choice to go out and experiment and try and do it cheaper and invent your own. Sure. Um, you know, every, every business has its, uh, you know, own set of uh, limitations and usually cash is one of those uh, significant uh, limitations that you have. And really I, I owe all the credit to, you know, the, the culture that, you know, we've created. The culture really drove, drove our team to find a better way to, to do this. Cause what happened was we, as we were scaling up and, you know, we're growing um, you know, we're, we're doing significant volumes of, uh, you know, bean bags and, you know, we would need to do, you know, 15,000 bean bags just in one shift out of, you know, one of our, uh, facilities. Well, trying to scale that the team's looking at the, you know, the space, it's like, well, shoot, we're going to need 25 of these filling machines. Like that is, that is not, uh, scalable. 
Otherwise, we're going to have to move. We'd have to get a new facility. We'd have to start pre-building. But we stuck true to our core of, okay, we got we to gotta find a different way to solve this process. And so one of our engineers, uh, Paul Tack, and he came up with the idea. Um, he used to do uh, cut and sew of T-shirts and children's wear in, uh, in one of his previous uh, jobs. Well, he knew about this uh, piece of equipment that is a rotary piece of equipment that is made to screen print t-shirts. He had the idea, it's like, well, if I could take that piece of equipment and turn that into a rotary beanbag filling machine, I think that we're gonna be able to uh, reduce our footprint and be able to make these. And so in the meantime, you know, we're like, okay, this is a great idea. Let's just, go talk. Just to, for people who aren't familiar with the rotary screen printing uh, thing, what, what does this thing look like? Does it have a bunch of arms and then you could have filler tubes coming out of it? Or what does that equipment look like? Yeah, so, you know, the rotary uh, screen print equipment is uh, just like you said, there's kind of a race, oval race track, you know, that's about uh, 15 feet, uh, you know, long. And you would put a T-shirt uh, on there and close a clamshell. And then the screen print would go over that and you would screen one color at a time or maybe multiple colors. I don't even know the screen print uh, process, but yeah, it's got arms on it and it's consistently, uh, you know, it's just going around and doing its uh, thing and screen printing t-shirts, uh, you know, one at a time in a uh, one piece uh, flow method. Well, he took that idea and basically said, you know what, we can make a filling machine that would do this exact same thing. And what he ended up doing, he ended up not doing the, uh, screen print, uh, you know, equipment, he ended up, uh, taking a old piece of equipment that we had and cutting it in half, turning it on its side and using the drive and the gears and everything from that, putting the arms on top of that inspired by the, uh, rotary <laughs> yeah, yeah. equipment and then attaching a volumetric filling machine on it. And so now we're able to make one beanbag about every eight seconds with this, uh, you know, this thing consistently every single, uh, you know, every single time. Wow, that's pretty incredible. You know, um, one thing, I know we're a little over time here, but maybe as a last thing here, you know, as I hear that story, it really makes me think about the principle of remixing in innovation. You know, we all get taught these ideas of like, oh, look at this genius inventor who came up with this out of nothing. And yet, as soon as you dive into those stories, it, it didn't come from nothing. You know, Gutenberg and the press for making movable types, so we all have books. Guy came from, got the idea from wine presses, right? Um, obviously, your, uh, he, your team member there sees what's happening with the, with the T-shirt thing, you know, rotating this color, then that color, then that color, and the T-shirt stays put, right? And and takes that and remixes it, you know, does the combination with what you guys need. Can you talk about this idea? I mean, I, I'm sure you guys have invented a lot of things over 20 years, especially with the kind of mindset that you've, you've helped grow over there. Uh, do you have any thoughts about this idea of, you know, observe and adapt? You know, we, I, we haven't really invented anything. I've always kind of described it as we're a fusion company. We're fusing, uh, you know, different ideas from different areas and bringing it together in a new and unique, uh, you know, way. That is what really has given, uh, you know, us our success. I mean, we weren't the first one to ever make a beanbag. We weren't the first ones to, uh, 
you know, come up with uh, automation equipment. We weren't the first ones to, uh, you know, try to use core values to drive the, you know, the, the culture. But when you start fusing these, uh, you know, ideas together and trying to apply them in your world where you're knowledgeable, like then all of a sudden unique and cool things, you know, happen. So you give people the, you know, the white space to be able to do that, to be able to fuse these, you know, ideas and cool stuff starts to happen. I love it. Well, listen, people who want to connect with you, uh, social media or come into the website, what's, what's the best way for people that want to find out more about the Big Joe brand or want to connect with you personally or get on the list for your upcoming book? Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, our website is comfortresearch.com. My blog is at moldyourown.com, which is where I talk about, uh, you know, culture and leadership and innovation and uh, expand on some of these thoughts that I've discussed today. And then I'm really easy to find on uh, LinkedIn, just Matt Young. My last name is uh, J-U-N-G. And uh, I also share a lot of uh, these things and videos and whatnot on that LinkedIn as well. And it's just been an absolute blast trying to share some of this. And, you know, I feel like the more I share, the more I learn. And it's just been a great experience uh, hearing from other entrepreneurs and CEOs that are doing their own thing about how they're going about uh, doing it. Because it, everybody's got a little bit, uh, you know, a different way and we can all learn from uh, each other because there's not a lot of those singular geniuses. You know, there, there was only one Steve Jobs. And uh, um, most of us need to learn from each other and bring it all together and fuse it and remix it in, in, in our own ways. And learning and sharing is one of the ways to do that. I love it. Okay. Thanks again, man, for making time for this. Thanks, Jess. It's been a pleasure. You bet.